Welcome to Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. We're your hosts, Tim and Ruth Olson, licensed marriage and family therapists and trauma experts. We provide wisdom for personal growth and healthy relationships. Stick with us and you'll gain practical tools and insights that will help you be a healthier and happier you. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast today. We're going to be discussing everybody's favorite topic, anger. I think one of the interesting things about anger is that people generally view it as a negative emotion. However, when it comes to emotions, they're not good or bad. Right, so when we look at feelings, feelings are natural, they're normal, and they're neutral. So feelings are natural, they just naturally come on, right? We experience something and it's natural to have an emotion or a feeling about that. And so it's not something that we are looking for. When experience happens, I don't go through the process and think, okay, I want to feel angry, I want to feel happy or sad about this. When something happens, we naturally experience an emotion. And the next part is that they're normal, and that's because everybody experiences emotions. There are some people who experience emotions more deeply than other people, and there's some people who experience them more frequently than other people, but everybody experiences emotions. And then feelings are neutral, meaning that feelings in and of itself, they're not good or bad. It's what we do with them that can be good or bad. Now, I do think it's interesting because there is definitely a perception that some emotions are good and some emotions are bad. And I think anger gets the perception that it's a bad thing. And I think the reason why is because when somebody's expressing anger towards you, it makes you uncomfortable. And when someone's angry at you, it can oftentimes make you feel intimidated. Now, the interesting thing about anger is that it is a very motivational emotion. Normally, when people are upset, that's when they're more likely to work at trying to change some type of dynamic or to confront somebody who's treating them unfairly. And so anger can be very useful, but it does happen to get a bad rap because a lot of times when people are motivated to do things when they're angry, they go about it in a wrong and hurtful way. Versus sadness, I think, is much more sympathetic for people where if somebody's expressing the feeling of sadness, they're more likely to listen and try to assist them when they're sad. But when people are angry, they're more likely to just want to back away from them. Yeah, and I think with sadness, it can be motivational, right? When you look at, okay, when I'm around this person, I experience sadness more often. And so knowing maybe I don't want to be around this person. I think you're right that anger is probably seen as more motivating because people are riled up and then they go out and they do things. Not always healthy things, but with sadness, there comes almost this depression and lack of energy. And so even though they recognize, okay, maybe I need to stop being around this person. Maybe I need to stop doing this. So I don't experience the sadness as often. They often then don't have the energy to go and change things. So the idea is that emotions are neutral. They're not good or bad. They can have both good and bad outcomes, but they themselves should not be viewed as good or bad. So when we think about anger, we think about it in this idea of the anger iceberg, right? When you look at an iceberg, only part of it is above the water, a very minimal part, say between 10 to 20%. And under the iceberg is the rest of that 80 to 90% of it. And that's where the ships get damaged, right? It's not that little tip of the iceberg that I can see. It's as we approach that and I see that iceberg, there's a huge amount under there that now damages the ship. So when we look at relationships, when we are expressing that anger to our friends, to our parents, to our partner, all they're seeing is that anger. But underneath that anger is so much more. 
And I think one of the very interesting things about anger is that it's what we like to call a secondary emotion. And so what that means is that you always feel something else first before you feel the anger. Now, it may be a split second, might be a flash in the pan where you feel that other emotion first before you move to anger. But a great example I like to use to help explain this to people is road rage. You're driving down the road and somebody wants to get into your lane and they want to get in front of you and then they just kind of cut in hard and they almost clip your front bumper because they're being so unsafe. The first thing you feel in that scenario is fear. You were fearful that they were going to hit you and then all of a sudden the anger spikes because like how dare you make me feel fear for my life? I shouldn't have had to feel that way. And so you feel this kind of indignant sense of that's not right, that's unjust. And so then that's what spurred on that feeling of anger. So when you're experiencing anger, a very important thing to think about is what is the underlying emotional cause from that? And so looking deeper, what's underneath the water that can be causing this experience for me right now? Am I sad or disappointed? lonely, overwhelmed, embarrassed, hurt? Am I in pain? Actually, it's very interesting. A lot of people, they have chronic pain. They have a lot of emotional difficulties because of that chronic pain. Are you feeling guilty or scared or shameful? Any of these kinds of things can be spurred on to create that sense or that feeling of anger. So let's talk about how to ice out your anger. We're gonna do three steps. The first one is identify the feeling. And you're going to consider the trigger and then express that feeling or the needs that are attached with it. So the first one is to identify that need. Like Tim said, you want to take a minute and figure out what really is underneath that. If your partner says something to you and immediately you lash out with anger, what's underneath that? Do you feel hurt? Do you feel betrayed? Do you feel lonely or do you have a need where you need them to help more and so you feel unappreciated? and you feel like they don't see the work that you're doing and you just need them to chip in a little more or even just to acknowledge all that you're doing. And so that's what you wanna do. You wanna identify what is really under that. Next is to consider the trigger and identify what is the thing that is causing me to be upset right now. I think a lot of people start the conversation, they're not really even certain why they're mad or what's bothering them, but you really wanna stop and think, okay, what's going on here? Is what they said unfair? Is it the way they said it unfair? Or was it maybe even just the way they said it? And there's nothing wrong with it inherently, but maybe it reminded you of a trauma you experienced. Maybe they talked to you or used the same phrasing that your mother used to use and she was not very nice to you. So then that caused you to have a whole tidal wave of emotions, even though what they had said in that moment might not really have been that bad or that offensive, but because you had a negative association with the words they used or how they said them, it created that extra tidal wave experience. So a great example of that is Ruth and I have a very different definition of the word help. <laughs> and for me, when someone says, hey, can you help me with this? Immediately, I have envisioned in my mind that we are going to be working on this project together in tandem. But Ruth, how would you define, can you help me? And I'm laughing about this because we've had a lot of conversations around this topic to narrow this down for us. For me, when I say, can you help me? I mean, whatever I'm asking him to do is helping me, right? It doesn't necessarily mean we're going to do this together. But I mean, can you help me by doing this for me? So sometimes I do mean we're going to do it together. So can you help me clean the kitchen? That's us working together and we're cleaning the kitchen. But other times when I say, can you help me get the baby into the car? 
I don't mean we're both physically going to go get the baby from the crib and carry her down together, put her in the car seat and put her in the car. I mean, by him doing all of that, that is helpful to me. And so we have definitional differences there. But for me, that bothers me. I don't like that because of what it causes me to immediately envision. And what I would prefer her to say is something along the lines of, Tim, can you do this for me? Right. But that's a struggle for you because what does that make you feel like? It makes you feel like I'm demanding him to do something. But I'm just saying, by you doing this, this is very helpful. And I would love for you to do that for me. And the reason I like Tim do this for me is because it gives me a clarity of expectations. I now know what to expect if she says, Tim, can you help me versus Tim, can you do this for me? Right. And because we've talked about this, now I can say, can you please go do this for me? Or I want you to do this for me. Because he likes very direct and straightforward. Whereas I feel like that's demanding. I know that by me saying it, it's helpful to him to get it done, which is then helpful for me because he's helping me do whatever I need to get done. And I actually think this does boil down to a little bit of personality difference too. I'm much more of a thinker in my personality type. So using the words in much more their original defined way is kind of important to me. But I think for you, the relational aspect is very important. And so if it sounds demanding to you, you want to kind of curb that sound because you're considering people's feelings when you use those types of words. So a picture of how this has played out in the past has been if I wanted him to clean the kitchen alone so that I could go do something for the kids or do something else, I would say, hey, can you help me clean the kitchen? And he'd have this picture of us cleaning the kitchen together and he'd come down to help. And maybe I'd straighten up a couple things and then I'd leave and go off and do something with the kids or feed the baby. And he'd be stuck cleaning the kitchen all by himself thinking, this isn't what I signed up for. What I'd actually be thinking is she ditched me. (laughs) But in my mind, he came down to help me. So he's cleaning the kitchen so that I can go complete these other tasks that also need to be done for our family. But as we've had a lot of conversations about this, we have different scripts now and we know what to say in these situations. But I think you're right that it is a lot of personality where I still sometimes feel uncomfortable when I say, I want you to do this for me because that doesn't seem polite to me. But Tim doesn't want the extra words. He doesn't want me to say, can you please help me do this so that I can go and work with the kids in this way? He wants me to just say, I want you to do this for me. Give me a little bit of caveman speak and that's all I need. (laughs) Kitchen clean now. (laughs) Whereas that does not work for me. That just feels so demanding. But I know that it is what works best in our marriage for him, which in turn, then I get the benefit out of it. And so considering and understanding the trigger, like why is this eliciting a negative emotional response from you is important because then that allows you to convey to your partner what the problem is. And that goes to the next step, which is express your emotion. So going back to that first one, when you were able to identify what am I really feeling, now it's time to bring that to the surface and express that feeling. Because remember, all they see is that tip of the iceberg. They don't see everything underwater that's going on for you. So it's important to really bring that feeling or the need that comes out of that feeling to the surface. So you want to take a minute first to be able to calm yourself, calm those emotions you're experiencing, take a couple of breaths, and then really express this need in a calm manner or the feelings that you've been experiencing and being able to say, you know, I feel a little hurt when you say this to me. Or for Tim, he could tell me, you know, I feel a little deceived when you ask me to help and then you ditch me. 
then you're 10 miles away from the project. (laughs) Which then allows me to respond to that. Instead of him being quietly angry and fuming, him being able to express that, I feel deceived. This isn't what you asked me for. Then we can have that healthy conversation of, gosh, I'm so sorry. I wasn't trying to deceive you. It is so helpful for you to clean the kitchen for me. I was asking you to clean it on your own so that I could go do this. But if he came at me and just said, why aren't you helping me clean the kitchen or him quietly fuming, then that brings up a totally different situation on how then I would respond to that. Absolutely. So the approach that you have with the person when you're bringing up your grievance can drastically change the response that you're going to get. So in the first scenario, if I said something along the lines of, hey, you know what? I feel a little bit deceived. I feel like when you said you wanted help in the kitchen that we were going to work on it together, but then we didn't is more likely to elicit a positive response from your partner. But if you say something along the lines of, you're a liar, you said you wanted help in the kitchen and then you didn't help me, you're much more likely to get a defensive or aggressive approach coming back to you if that's the way that you enter into this conversation. So getting back to that iceberg and getting to the lower level and understanding what emotion are you actually feeling aside from just that anger allows you to be more likely to get an empathetic response from your partner. Oh, for sure. If you came in and you said, Ruth, I feel deceived, I would automatically feel empathy and approach that in a different way than if you came in and you called me a liar because that assumes my motivation. And then what happened was there was a total miscommunication and we wouldn't have been able to talk about that because I would have immediately got defensive and that would have started the cycle of conflict and anger toward each other rather than this empathy of, gosh, I didn't mean to make you feel deceived or I didn't mean to deceive you. And so it sets up the conversation and the conflict resolution for success right from the beginning. Being able to share that emotion as well as that need versus attacking or coming at the other person with anger. And also I want you to notice the phrasing there. I feel deceived versus you deceived me. This goes back to the Rules to Fighting Fair podcast that we did where it's you're using I statements. I feel deceived because in that moment, I don't know if she actually intended to deceive me, but the conclusion that I'm feeling at that moment is that I do feel deceived. That allows her the opportunity to then correct the record. Oh, I didn't mean to deceive you. I just like to say, can you help me? Because it sounds gentler than do this for me. So just to recap, when you feel that anger immediately come on, we want you to ice that anger out by taking a breath and then going through ICE. Identify what are you feeling underneath that anger. When you look at the anger iceberg, what is everything that's stirring up underneath the surface that you're not expressing? And then go ahead and consider the trigger because you want to figure out what exactly set me off in this situation. And then the last step of expressing that feeling or need to your partner in a calm way. So that way you can really come to a conclusion and solve this situation rather than start this unhealthy cycle of fighting and never really resolving it. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. And remember, your mind is a powerful thing. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. If you enjoyed this podcast or found it helpful, we'd love for you to take some time and leave us a review on Apple Podcast. If you have a question or topic you'd like discussed in future episodes, visit our Facebook group, Mr. and Mrs. Therapy Podcast, and let us know. 
Disclaimer, although we are mental health providers, this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide diagnosis or treatment. Please seek professional help if you're struggling with persistent mental health issues, chronic marital issues, or call the National Suicide Hotline at 988 if you are contemplating suicide.